You can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of the Psalter to Psalm 6. Uh, we'll start Nahum in a couple weeks' time, but tonight we're going to look at Psalm 6. Next week we'll look at Psalm 7, and then it's the Lord's Supper. Uh, so Psalm 6 this evening. The covenant Lord for a troubled soul. I'll begin reading at verse 1. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eyes waste, my eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Amen. Well, let us pray. Our great God, we are thankful that we can call upon you in our times of distress. Thank you again for your covenant promises that you give to us. Thank you for the inheritance that awaits us, but thank you for your nearness. Thank you that you promise to never leave us nor forsake us as we walk this world. So we ask that you would teach us to pray in our distress. Teach us to pray the prayer of faith, trusting in your covenant promises, trusting in who you are, and trusting that you are the God who does answer and hear our prayers. So may we approach you with faith. May we approach you in a thoughtful way according to what your word says. And thank you that you give us peace in the midst of trials. Thank you that you deliver us from trials. And we pray that, that we would learn that this night. And most importantly, thank you for our Christ who suffered in our stead. Thank you that he was the one who learned obedience. Thank you that he endured agony, not because of his own sin, but because of our sin. Thank you that he is perfect. Thank you that he is righteous in every way. Thank you that he could not sin. And thank you that he suffered on our behalf. Thank you for what he endured. And may this be the cause of our praise. May this be the cause of our worship because of what Christ has done for us. So encourage us, uplift us, give us the strength we need, we pray. And we pray that you'd help us by your spirit to understand what your word says. And thank you that you, have, you do send forth your spirit. And we pray that we would know him now. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, in the Christian life, and perhaps because of the book of Job, we do need to be careful about chalking up all our troubles directly as a result of specific sins. So we cannot say because this bad thing is happening to me, it is because of my sin necessarily. But we also could say that perhaps it is true that what we're going through is because of our various sins. Perhaps the Lord God is chastening us. Perhaps the Lord God is teaching us something. And perhaps it is true that our present troubles are a result of certain things that we have done. We need to have a balanced approach to what God's word says. And it may be that God is disciplining us even through our enemies and through his enemies. And this was something that David understood. As we think about David's sin with Bathsheba and David's sin by killing Uriah the Hittite, David sought mercy from the Lord and he found it 
But the Lord also said, these things are going to come upon you. These things are going to happen. Your kingdom is going to be, uh, 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 someone from the midst of you is going to come up and wreak havoc in your kingdom. And while Psalm 6 does not have a specific historical setting in view, Psalm 3 does say, when David fled his son Absalom, that comes after David and Bathsheba. And then next week we'll see Psalm 7, uh, what David's saying concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite, which also comes after the situation with Bathsheba and Uriah. God told him, God forgave him, but God told him something would happen from within. He is being punished or perhaps being chastened because of his sins. Found forgiveness, but having to deal with the consequences, and God is chastening him through that very thing. But there is comfort, isn't there, for the Christian? There's comfort for David. And the God who chastens us is the God we can cry out to. And that's exactly what David does here in Psalm 6. He cries out when his soul is vexed. He cries out in his deep distress. He cries out to the God, asks him, do not rebuke me, but have mercy upon me in my deep distress. And thankfully, the Psalms teach us how we ought to pray. The Psalms really are the prayer book for the people of God. Uh, They're the prayer book of Christ. We'll see that at the end this evening. There are many different types of Psalms. Most of them are lament, uh, complaint, crying out to God for a certain because of a certain situation. And most of them then turn to praise. Psalms one and two give us the overarching purpose of the book, the message of the book. And then there are five books within the Psalter. Book one which goes to Psalm 41, is all about the king's confidence in the Lord. And really throughout book one, there's a lot of struggles. There's a lot of crises. There's a lot of how long, oh, lords, uh, in the first book. There's a crisis concerning the kingdom, a crisis concerning the promise. So where then does the king go? Where then does David go? To whom does David cry out? And so Psalm 6 could either be called an individual lament psalm, Or perhaps it is one of the seven penitential psalms of which Psalm 51 is one of them. And the problem that we see in Psalm 6 is the vexation the enemy brings. Again, the persecutions of God's people, the persecutions that God's people endure, and the trying circumstances of life can vex the whole person. Bones shaken, bones terrified, souls shaken, souls terrified we are not disembodied spirits there are fearful things in this world we don't like chastening in this world there are hard things in this world and god's people go through real life sufferings whether it's our fault or not there's real life sufferings that we have to deal with in this world and god's chastening is to humble us and here we do see the prayer of a broken heart but again there is comfort there is a god who comforts the vexed a God who comforts those who are troubled, and there's the God that we can have faith in in the midst of our trying times. And we see here where our faith leads us in times of chastening. It leads us to the God of mercy. And that's what we see in Psalm 6, as David's prayer of faith is a prayer of faith when his soul is troubled. We can still exercise faith in the promises of God when our soul is troubled. And we'll look at this idea under two headings this evening. First of all, we'll see when our soul is troubled, verses 1 through 7. 
And then secondly, we'll see when our supplication is heard, verses 8 through 10. So when our soul is troubled, verses 1 through 7. And secondly, when our supplication is heard, verses 8 through 10. So let's first look at when our soul is troubled in verses 1 through 7. And notice the intense trouble in verses 1 through 3. And notice we see that possible punishment or likely chastening because of David's sin. Oh, Lord, verse 1, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. And notice the urgency of the situation, or perhaps you heard the urgency of the situation as we read through this psalm. Notice he says, O Lord, O Lord, O Lord, O Lord, O Lord five times in the span of five verses. It highlights the urgency that day of the situation. It highlights the difficulty and the deep distress that David is in. I know the last time when we looked at Psalm 5 and I talked about how we need to be thoughtful in our prayers, and even when we're in deep distress, we still need to be thoughtful in our prayers. And I made the comment that we should be careful. We don't say, we just, I just, Lord, we just, Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, all the time. But Sometimes distresses can perhaps make way and take away or convention goes out the window uh, in those times. Sometimes we just need to say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, a bunch of times in our deep distress. And that's what David is doing here. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Now he's still thoughtful, but we see his great distress by how many times he says, oh, Lord. And his request in verse one is relenting. Do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. He's, assume, he's assuming his current plight is because of some sort of sin he has committed. And again, there is no historical setting. But again, God does chasten David for his sins of adultery and sin of murder. And so again, this is one of the penitential Psalms with Psalm 51, but also Psalm 38. And Psalm 38 uh, is a similar start. David says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure, for your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. God, in his goodness, and it is a goodness of God, chastens his people. This is a promise, and this is an assurance that we are God's children in Hebrews chapter 12. We do not like chastening, we don't like discipline. Uh, children don't like to be disciplined by their parents, but it is a good thing. And Hebrews 12 highlights this very thing. And what's interesting is in verse 3, you know who we are to consider? Christ. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Christ endured agony. Christ endured ridicule, uh, ridicule, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, for you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Christ never sinned. Christ never violated God's law in one iota, but he suffered greatly on behalf of you and I, that we might have life in him. Because you and I violated God's law. Because you and I don't strive to bloodshed. Christ did that on our behalf. And if we've been saved and redeemed, we are called sons of the living God. And if we are called sons of the living God in application, chastening is part of that. If you endure chastening, verse 7, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not 
chasten. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. It goes on to talk about human fathers and talk about the great uh, the greatness of our heavenly father. Uh, verse 11, now no chastening seemed to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Chastening is hard. Discipline is hard, but it is a good thing. And sometimes in our Christian walk, yes, it is difficult to discern whether perhaps what's happening to me is because of my sin, but sometimes God does chasten us for the sins that we have committed. And it is a good thing. There are consequences for our sin. Yes, if you murder someone, yes, you can find forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ and be free. But guess what? You have to go to prison. You have to go to jail. You have to deal with the consequences. And that may be God dealing with you in that way. There are legitimate things. Now, most of us don't do that. Or most of us haven't done that. But God in our Christian walk sometimes does chasten us. He disciplines us based upon the sins that we have committed. And we need to seek his mercy and find our mercy in him. But thanks be to God for Christ who endured to bloodshed, who strived to bloodshed, who resisted to bloodshed and did not sin. So there is that intense trouble that David goes through because of his own sin. But also notice his intense trouble as a weak man, verses 2 and the first part of 3. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. He requests mercy. Don't be angry with me. Don't chasten me. It's not wrong to ask God for that. Please take this from me. Please forgive me and take this chastening away. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. I can't handle it. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your kindness towards me. And here he's appealing to God's character. We saw in Jonah 4, Jonah didn't, I mean, Jonah likes God's character. He just didn't like God's character towards the Ninevites. What, what did he say to God concerning the Ninevites? God, I, I know that you're slow to anger, and I know that you're abounding in steadfast love and gracious and that you relent. That's from Exodus 34. God is the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, uh, uh, long-suffering, uh, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That is who our God is. He's eternally good. He's infinitely good. And we see his goodness towards sinners by his forgiveness. So he's appealing to the character of God. Be merciful to me, O Lord. The reason for I am weak, I am nothing. I cannot handle the chastening that you Give to me. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled, my soul is greatly troubled. Same word for troubled uh, could be terrified. Some people perhaps uh, highlight that he could be in some sort of sickness, that he is so distressed, he is so weak, he's in such disarray that he really is sick and asks God to take that from him. Uh, But one thing is very clear my bones and my soul, his body and his soul. That is, the whole man is distressed. The whole man uh, is troubled. The whole man is terrified here because of the sickness and situation that he is in. In Psalm 51.8, again, that's the penitential psalm we probably all know of. This is his specific confession after uh, the, the Nathan the prophet goes and challenges him on 
the situation with Bathsheba, but he says, verse 8, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. So here, heal me. Here, watch over me. My soul is greatly troubled. So he's also a weak person. So there's chastening. He is weak. But also there is the sensible absence of God, verse 3. But you, O Lord, how long? God sometimes removes the light of his countenance upon his people. Doesn't mean he removes his covenant from his people, but he removes the light of the sensible nearness of God. God is always near. God is always with us. But sometimes he chastens us in this way. As we saw in Psalm 4, there are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Shine your face upon us. May we know your blessings. May we know your nearness. We don't want to be away from that sensible goodness. We don't want to be away from the sensible presence of God. And brethren, as reformed, I admit, sometimes we're afraid of emotions, right? We're afraid to say, oh, we don't want to, we don't want to rely on our emotions. We want the truth to reign above all. But we're still, we're still people. We do like the sensible nearness of God. We like the feeling of his count, light of his countenance upon us. Whether we feel that or not, it, uh, it, the Bible says uh, what is true concerning who he is and what he does. But we want that. We don't like feeling distant. We like feeling near to our God. We want to feel near to our king. And when we sin, sometimes his chastening he removes the light of his countenance. The confession speaks about this when it comes to perseverance. In chapter 17, the confession itself is very practical for the people of God. And so he cries out, how long? Where are you, O Lord? There is a delay in the relief from the Lord and perhaps a delay in the countenance of the Lord as well and god delays for his purposes and for our good uh and it doesn't change the fact that some situations drive us to ask where he is the psalms are very practical for the people of god in trying times possible punishment weak person and perhaps an absence or sensible absence of god but you O lord how long so intense trouble but then notice the petition proper in verses four through seven. Yes, he requests, don't rebuke me, have mercy on me. But notice in verses four through seven, we see the petition specific and then the reasons for it in verses five through seven. But notice the request in verse four, return. Seems like God has gone, return, O Lord, and deliver me from my distress. Oh, save me for your mercies sake we often say again as reformed god may not deliver us but we and we have to be prepared for that but we can still ask that he does deliver us brethren and guess what he delivers us many times i think we have to be balanced again we can be sort of on one side or the other yeah god might not deliver you and you have to deal with it and you have to learn what god is teaching you in that trying time yeah we do that's what is God? How is God sanctifying us? What do we need to learn? But it might be that God delivers us from it. And we can ask God that he would deliver us from whatever trial we are going through. There is a balanced approach in our Christian walk. And we see that with David here. Deliver me. Save me for your mercy's sake. And again, notice 
who he's appealing to. He's appealing to the character of God here, his hesed, also found in Exodus 30, uh, Exodus 34 and Jonah 4 as well. And what he, there perhaps is a covenantal spin on it here as well. Save me according to your covenant love. This is David. This is the one with whom God made the Davidic covenant. And do you remember what he said to David in 2 Samuel 7? It's kind of sad, isn't it? There's 2 Samuel 7, everything look, is looking good, it's great. And then uh, 2 Samuel 11 comes and David does something he should not. But 2 Samuel 7, things are still great. I will, verse 12 of 2 Samuel 7, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. I will give you a line and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. What that means there is that sin cannot stop the promises of God. And as the rest of the as kings, the, the Samuel and kings uh, unfold, uh, uh, we're trying to see which one would be that Davidic son who would come, which one would be the one who would honor God and live in a proper way according to God's commandments. And we know it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, uh, a father is the one who chastens his son. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is not chastened because he does not sin. But again, the Lord Jesus Christ suffers. The Lord Jesus Christ suffers, not again, not again, not because of his sin, but because of our sin. And again, we're going to end by talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just giving you some spoilers as we go along. It's all pointing to our Lord and Savior. This is his psalm that he prays. This is what he prays. And we'll see various places in which he does pray it's or a couple places anyway where he prays parts of Psalm 6. But one of the promises of that Davidic covenant is chastening. But verse 15, my mercy shall not depart from him. My Hesed covenant love shall not depart from him. And so David's not just appealing to God in his character. He is doing that, but he's appealing to what God said in his covenant. You said your mercy shall not depart from my kingdom. Your mercy shall not depart from me. Now, Lord, have mercy upon me. Brethren, that's how we are supposed to pray. But we pray according to the promises of the new covenant. God, you've promised to never leave me nor forsake me. Help me. God, you've promised that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me to be abased and to abound. Lord, help me. That's why we pray in our prayers, God's thoughts back to him. Here's what you've said. And that's what David is doing. God is chastening him for his sin. God is, you know, uh, 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 disciplining him for his sin. But David still calls out to his father and his Lord to find mercy. Lord, save me for your mercy's sake. Davis says, you go to the bringer of wrath with a plea of grace. Where else can one go? And that's where David goes. And then notice his reasoning, verses five through seven. Do you know that we can give God reasons for why he should answer our prayers? And it should be, again, according to 
who he is and according to what he's asked us to do. And notice verse five, verse five is a little tricky, but for in death, it says for in death, there is no remembrance of you in the grave who will give you thanks. What he is saying here is one less person will praise you if I'm dead. He is not saying, it's not saying that he didn't believe in life after death. That's not what it's saying here. But he's arguing to God, God, if I'm killed by my enemies, there's going to be one less person to praise your name. Yes, in heaven, we're going to praise God world without end. But you have to see the argument. You have to see the line of reasoning. You have to see his distress. God, deliver me because my life is all about praise. Isn't that the implication? My life is all about honoring you. And my life is all about bringing glory to you. My life is all about entering into your house and praising your name. And if I die, one less person is going to do that very thing. Davis says, if I die, if I succumb, if my enemies get me, if you do not deliver me, there will be one less person to praise you. For I won't be able to sing, praise ye the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation among your people. They don't sing, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing in Sheol. Dead folks don't get up and sing, let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name he is reasoning with god there'll be one less person to praise you that's what he's saying in verse five and then notice in verse six another reason god should deliver him because he's depressed notice how depressed he is in verse six i am weary with my groaning all night i make my bed swim i drench my couch with my tears i groan i sigh i weep and my weeping never stops. My bed is like a swimming pool. My eyes, as we'll see, are wasting away. Everything, I drench it all. I groan. I am weary. I am tired. I am exhausted. I am depressed. And so verse 6, he is depressed. Lord, I'm depressed. Deliver me. It's not wrong to say, is it? Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, I'm suffering. Lord, I'm depressed. Please uplift me. Please deliver me. Please give me the light of your countenance. So one less person to praise you. I'm depressed. And then verse seven, I'm exhausted. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows old because of all of my enemies. What it means is he's growing old too soon. Grief makes us tired. Grief ages us uh, quicker makes us tired and old. And notice the reason, because of my enemies. Yes, there's his sin aspect, but also his enemies as well. I grow old because of all that they have done. My, 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 my vitality is, is going away because of my sins and because of my enemies. Fighting sin and fighting enemies is exhausting, isn't it? I mean, the way of the sinner is hard. There's a reason Solomon says that. There is refreshment there is encouragement, there is uh, uh, rest in the Lord God most high and in God's ways. And even when we fall and backslide and we are weary, we have a Savior we can call upon who gives us rest. We have a God we can call upon who gives us strength. But his reasons are legitimate, are they not? I'm depressed and I'm exhausted. Lord, deliver me. Lord, help me. Lord, uh, have mercy upon me according to your covenant love. Now, I do think that this prayer, verses 1 through 7, do, it does teach us the prayer we do pray in trouble, and I've touched on this already, and there are two things uh, that we can glean about how we ought to pray. There's probably more, but two things that I observed. 
One is we pray according to God's character. God, this is who you are. This is what you've said. This is who you are in your being. Now be merciful to me. Pity me, hear me, listen to me. That's what David does here. It's what David does in Psalm 51. And we can call upon our God according to who he is. And then secondly, we pray with reasons before God. You're tired, you're weary, you're heavy laden. Lord, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm heavy laden. Please help me, please deliver me. Our God can handle that. Not everybody can handle all our problems, but the Lord God Most High can handle all of our problems and all of our issues, and he can give us the strength to endure in them, and he can deliver us from those very trials that we are in. There's a New Testament example about Paul crying out to God to take something away from him. In that situation, God does not do so. This is that thorn in his, in his flesh. Uh, we don't, uh, don't know what it is. Perhaps it could be a person. Uh, but in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 and following, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. We can cry out to God to have, it, to have him take it away, but notice how God answers. In verse 9, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He cries out, God answers his prayer, but doesn't necessarily deliver him from what he requested in the first place. But God supplies him with the strength he needs. But when we pray, we pray to God according to his character, and we can give reasons to God based upon who he is, based upon his character, based upon our plight, and based upon the covenant promises that we have in Christ. So that's when our soul is troubled. Let's then look secondly at when our supplication is heard, verses 8 through 10. And notice we see the Lord who hears in verses 8 and 9. I'm going to come back to the first part of verse 8 uh, in a second, but look at the second part of verse 8 with verse 9. Notice three times. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. He has faith in the promises of God, and he has faith that God will answer. And thankfully, God does answer him. And notice what he answers. The Lord heard. We have a God who hears us. And the God does, our God doesn't just hear our voices. He doesn't just hear our words, doesn't just hear our supplication, which he does. He also hears our sighs. He hears our groanings. He hears our tears. We saw that in Psalm 5, verse 1, give ear to my, Lord, uh, well, my words, O Lord. Consider my groanings. Consider my vexations. Sometimes our trials are so weak that we just groan. We just cry. We just have tears. There's really nothing else that we can do. And our God is a God who hears that. The Lord hears. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, five times, three times the Lord heard. The Lord heard. The Lord will receive my prayer. And notice, too, that the Lord hears him. The Lord gives him assurances in his trial and assurances that he will deliver it. 
but it hasn't been delivered just yet. You see, prayer is what changes us. Prayer doesn't always change our circumstances, but prayer changes us. Davis says, prayer doesn't change things, but prayer lays hold of God who changes things and who in prayer changes you. And sometimes in the midst of, of it all, he gives you the assurance that your plea has been granted. He thought the Lord was absent. How long, O Lord? But the Lord heard my groanings. The Lord heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer because he is a loving father. He chastens, but we can go to him for forgiveness. We can go to him for mercy and he gives it. He hears his situation will be placated. His situation will be helped, but God gives him assurances in that moment that he shall be with him. That's what prayer does for us. It doesn't always change the situation, but it changes us in the midst of that situation to have more faith and trust in our God. So God hears, and then notice what he says as he speaks to his enemies. Now, this is hard for us. It's not hard for maybe us, but it's hard for our modern society, I think, sometimes. But verse 8 is also another word of faith. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. God has heard my ply. That's the, the, the basis for why he says depart, because the Lord has heard me. Depart from me, all you workers. Get away from me, my enemies, because my God is with me. You be ashamed. You be troubled. And that word for troubled is the same word that was used in verses 2 and 3 when he says, my bones are troubled. My soul is troubled. Now you be troubled. Lord, take this away from me. Enemies, get back from me, for my God has heard my cry and my prayers. And what it is, it's a declaration of a king, a king who is rendering judgment, a king who is rendering judgment upon iniquity. You must get away and stay away because I am the covenant king. You are not. Absalom was not the rightful king. David is the rightful king. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Now, there are two places, similar situations in the New Testament, where that first part of verse 8 is alluded to or quoted. The first place is Matthew 7, 23. In the Sermon on the Mount, this is towards the end of that Sermon on the Mount, we have the Lord Jesus talking about the narrow way, talking about false prophets, and we know who those false prophets are, namely Pharisees, and those Pharisees who claim to be workers of God would be the ones who eventually hand the Son over, and they will be the ones who will be cast out. Verses 21 through 23, the lips of David as a king, the lips of Christ as a king, as the one who is the rightful king judging over all. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And as I've said before, 
I heard Pastor Butler preach on it many years ago, and it's stuck with me since he did. And Gil highlights this. This passage is not a try-hard passage. This passage is not, you must do more for that final day. You know what this passage is? Faith. Did you see what they say? Lord, did we not do all these things? Did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do many signs and wonders? What was their basis on judgment day? Themselves. Their righteousness. Their workings. Not in Christ. This is a faith passage. You know what we'll say on that day when God asks why? I don't know if God will ask that, but if God asks why should you enter in? Christ alone. Christ the King. Christ who died for me by his blood and righteousness. And what he will say on that day is not guilty. And the reason he will say that day on that day not guilty is because of his merits, his righteousness, not our own, that is transferred to us because of Christ and given to us as we receive it by faith. And the spirit applies that to our hearts and lives. And brethren, if you believed on Christ, you're justified now. That does not change. You are not guilty now. That never changes. But you will hear it on that day. Not guilty. But those who perhaps thought they were doing the work of the Lord, and maybe Absalom thought he was. I mean, Absalom was part of Israel. Wasn't a Gentile. He was doing something wicked from within. He was David's son. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. It is based on faith. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. We need Christ's righteousness by faith. And so it is, he declares that the narrow gate is through him. The narrow gate is through faith. And this is also uh, paralleled in Luke 13, 27. Although Luke is a little, a little different, a little bit of a tweak. Uh, there, someone asks him, Lord, are there few who are saved? He talks about the narrow gate. He talks about the door that is going to be shut up. Uh, then he says, verse 25, Lord, Lord, open for us. They're knocking on the door. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, uh, where you are from. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But they never laid hold of him. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom, and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are la they uh, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. And then the Pharisees come, ask him another question. He laments over Jerusalem. Uh, the rulers of the synagogue in verse fourteen are have indignation because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, who shall be saved? It is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in one's self-righteousness. And ones, again, who base it upon their self-righteousness are going in the wide gate. The narrow gate is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will be uh, told on that day, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. They who... Uh, persecuted the Lord, they who ridiculed the Lord, they who brought suffering upon the Lord, the Lord is the one who reigns. You'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand with power, coming with the clouds of heaven. That's his ascension 
And that's a sign and a, an assurance that he will judge his enemies when they come. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard my prayer. Back to Psalm 6. So depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. It is a cry of faith. It is a uh, declaration of a king. And then verse 10, let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed. They who brought shame, they shall endure shame forever. Now, the application in verses 8 through 10 is the comforting fact that we have a Lord who answers our troubles. He gives us peace in the storm. Van Gemmeren says, when grace penetrates into the depth of an anguished soul, joy in the Lord anchors faith, which no one can remove. Our joy or our sorrow turns into joy. Sorrow only lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And even in our circumstances, as we have trials and struggles and difficulties, and we ask the Lord not to, uh, to chasten us, we ask the Lord to heal us, sometimes the answered prayer is he gives us the peace we need in the midst of that tri trying time. That's what God does for us. He gives us peace in the midst of the storm. But thankfully, again, he also delivers us from circumstances, even if they're our fault. Isn't he so very gracious to do that? We aren't like that, are we? We think people, well, they made their bed. They need to lie in it. That's their problem. That's their issue. God is not like that, is he? And yes, he chastens us in our problems with uh, because of our sins, but he also delivers us from them, doesn't he? And again, we can pray to our God and ask that he delivers us. Paul does this in 2 Thessalonians 3, after he asked the Thessalonians to pray for him and pray for the word that it would go forth and be glorified as it is among you, he then prays and that we would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. He asks for that. But then he says, but the Lord is faithful and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Deliver us, O Lord. Help us, O Lord, but give us the strength we need in the midst of the trial that we endure. But it's perfectly legitimate to ask God both for peace and for deliverance. We really can be both and. It's not always either or. We really can ask God to deliver us and give us the peace we need. But either way, he is the Lord who answers our trouble. The Lord hears our supplication. Now, we're going to close by, again, talking about our Lord Jesus Christ Again, this is the prayer of our Lord. This is in John 12. Again, Christ does not sin. But why does he come into this world to die for sinners and to suffer as a man, all our essential properties and common infirmities yet without sin? And perhaps John 12, 27, as Jesus predicts his death on the cross, this probably does allude back to Psalm 6. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Our Lord Jesus was not a disembodied spirit. A perfect man, but not a disembodied spirit. And he really suffered in this world. He really suffered physically on that cross. And he really did have the wrath of God or uh, have it poured out upon him in our stead. 
a, the eternal, infinite wrath of God in an intensive moment in history as the wrath of God was poured out upon him, that God's wrath might now be poured out upon us forever. He suffered for us in our stead. He was the son who learned obedience. He wasn't chastened for his sins, but he was punished for ours. And this is all founded on what we've been talking about with the Lord's Supper, that covenant of redemption, that it would be the son who would, uh, the, the, the son who would be incarnate, the son who would take on human flesh, the son who would live, die, would become a man and live, die, and rise again. My soul is troubled. He knows what awaits. He knows the death he must die. He knows the agony he's going to endure. And his soul is troubled. Lord, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now, this is the judgment of this world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Hebrews 5 also speaks in a similar way concerning our Christ and the prayers that he prayed. Hebrews 5, 7 says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Gill says, when he talks about the prayer, by God, who was the object of his fear and who is called the fear of Isaac, he was always heard by him. And so he was in the garden and on the cross and was carried through his sufferings and was delivered from the fear of death and was saved from the dominion and power of it, being raised from the dead by his father. This is what the son endured. And he went through suffering and ag agony so much so that so that his soul was troubled. He really was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He died on behalf of his people that we might have life. This is the prayer of Christ who suffered in our stead. Well, let us pray. Our gracious God, thank you that we can call out to you in our times of great sorrow and distress. Thank you that we can call out to you in times that are not so distressful, but we thank you that you hear us whatever situation we are in. Thank you we can praise you for the good things you give, and thank you that you we can uh, come before you with supplications uh, in great moments of difficulty. Thank you for your chastening, but we do ask that you would not chasten us in your hot displeasure uh, or rebuke us in your anger. We pray, O oh God, that you would uh, have mercy upon us, that you would help us in our Christian walk. Please forgive us for our backsliding and for our sinfulness. We pray that we would seek to live in a manner that is pleasing unto you. And we pray that we would pray your thoughts back to you. Thank you that you are the God of mercy. Would you be merciful to us? Thank you for your covenant 
love in the new covenant in Christ. And so hear us based upon that covenant and based upon the merits of Christ. Thank you. We can bring reasons before you. We are not disembodied spirits, but we are weak. We grow exhausted. We are tired. Uh, yet we can call upon you and you hear us. Thank you for this promise. Thank you that you give us the strength that we need in the midst of trials and you deliver us from trying circumstances. Thank you that we can ask and you provide. Thank you that we can ask and you hear. Thank you that you change us even uh, as we pray. And most importantly, we we are thankful for Christ and what he has endured on our behalf. Thank you that he suffered agony. He had the wrath of God poured out upon him that we might have life everlasting. Our great God, we are undeserving of this, of this suffering, of uh, this life that Christ lived and the dying that he endured and the, the, the rising. Thank you for this gospel. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for the prayer of Christ who suffered in our stead. And thank you that he is triumphant. Thank you that he reigns supreme. Thank you that he will judge the living and the dead. And thank you that there is forgiveness for those who believe upon him. Those who look to him, thank you that he draws all his people to himself uh, by your spirit and by faith and by your word. And we pray that you continue to do so in our midst. We pray that you'd edify your people who have been drawn and saved. Uh, we pray that you would teach us to pray biblically, teach us to know how to pray in times of joy, but also in times of distress as well. And thank you again for our Christ. So be with us now by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.